Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. My guest on today's episode is Matilda Akiri Cooper. Matilda is an award-winning journalist, podcast host, and the founder of Fly Girl Collective, a platform and community which helps Black women and women of color level up in their wellness and lifestyle. Matilda is so inspiring. She's run 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, and an ultra marathon. If you've been thinking about getting back into running or studying running, have a listen to this episode. Matilda has loads of tips that will help you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Matilda. I'm really excited to speak to you. You do so many interesting things. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about the story of your very first period. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is taking me way back. But um, I distinctly remember being 13. And that's because at school, I remember that that was considered to be like the bullseye age for when it was going to happen. Um, so I remember when I turned 13, I mean, it certainly wasn't on the dot, but I knew, okay, I think it's going to happen this year. That being said, when it did happen, I was pretty surprised. I um, remember having this feeling of wetting myself and I went to the old house that I used to live in. I remember going into our, um, there was a bathroom in our garage. So it wasn't like our main bathroom. Went into the bathroom, put my pants down. And I was like, oh, oh, what what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember just being like, just seeing all my knickers being wet. And then I just thought, oh, snap. I think, I think this is it. I think this is my period. And I don't recall anyone being in the house at the time. This was certainly before we had mobile phones. Um, but I think when my um, step late step, stepfather got back home, I remember him sort of confirming, yeah, I think you got your period. And then when mom came, she was sort of like, oh yeah, get a tissue kind of wrap up because, you know, I, I honestly can't remember the process of learning about using sanitary towels because that's all my mom ever used. Um, but I remember it was like, get the tissue first. And then it was like, okay, right. Get always. And to this day, I still use always because that was like <laughs> the first sanitary towels I started using. That's interesting that you went and you told your, your stepdad. Yeah. Because a lot of like a lot of the women I've spoken to on the podcast they've very much wanted to speak to like a female relative or a female friend. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because he was in the house first, I think when he came back from work and um, at the time I had a stepsister. So I just naturally presumed, okay, if this has happened um, to my stepsister, then he'll kind of know what to do. Um, but I remember there was a sense of, okay, when mom comes home, she can properly tell you, you know, <laughs> How to sort yourself out, but I definitely didn't feel 
embarrassed other than the fact that my knickers were, <laughs> you know, completely drenched. It was just like a, okay, right. This happens, you know, what do I do now kind of thing. And then once your mom get, came home, she gave you some pads and then this, this feeling of, of calm and lack of embarrassment around your period continue? Well, that's that's the interesting part. So I think I kind of knew the bare basics of when you have your periods, obviously you use sanitary towels, but it sparked an issue around hygiene um, because not realizing that, okay, you, you have your period and it is what it is, but there's it's puberty. <laughs> so there's all these other things that are kind of happening with you. Um, and actually when I was at school, there was a situation where a couple of my friends, they almost had like a bit of an intervention. <laughs> and it was like after um, PE once, they kind of sat me down and they said, Matilda, FYI, you've got an odor. <laughs> you kind of stink. And I remember being so horrified at the time, just thinking like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? Um and I think a lot of it just came into play because, you know, when you're on your period and you're sweaty and let's say, you know, you're not keeping your clothes clean. And, you know, I was quite a sporty girl. It it was that for me was probably the most traumatic thing that I associated with my period. So I think going forward, it became a thing where I just need to be really, really clean <laughs> around this time of the month. I need to just make sure that I'm double washing you know, all the things you can think of to just be as, you know, proper as a teen as you can be. Right. So apart from, you know, putting a focus on hygiene, uh, like actual hygiene yeah. and like the real sense of it, um, how, what was your experience of your period like during your teenage years? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, my cramps were, they felt pretty traumatic and there was no, I mean, obviously, you know, we talked recently about the impact of like diet and all these things. And I mean, nobody diagnosed it. It was just hair, take painkillers, take Feminax. And actually it got to the point where the painkillers weren't even working. So I think I started off on like paracetamol and then I discovered Feminax when I went to uni around my uni age. And that was just sort of my go-to. I mean, I was completely wiped out, water bottle, Feminax, sitting in a tub of hot water, praying to God that this, you know, let this pass. And it was always for a day, but it was just terrible. So it got to the point that whenever I knew my period was coming, I would literally just brace myself because I knew it would just be 24 hours of, of pain. And is it still like that? No, that's the shocking thing about it. It's like, I can't remember the last time I've had cramps. And the only thing I can guess is because my lifestyle has changed. So like when I was much younger, loved sweets, loved sugar, loved all the things. But I think once I got into running um, better part of a decade now, you know, you know, again, I, I can't say I, I monitored it and suddenly it was like a switch whereby the pain went, but it just became a thing where it's like, oh gosh, I don't need Feminax anymore. I'm eating a lot healthier. I'm looking after myself. And it just meant period comes. It's like, meh, nothing. I know, shocking. <laughs> wow. So it literally just unknowingly hmm. through running, started changing I the way you so. ate. And then yeah. you stopped. Okay, that's so yeah. interesting. 
Yeah. And it was just a weeding process because like I said, I became so accustomed to using painkillers, but as I was going on like my own fitness and wellness journey, I was thinking about holistic health as well. So I wanted to move away from using medication generally. So I don't know if it just was one of those things where there was a period where I just thought until you need to firm this. And then it became a thing where I don't actually need it anymore. Um, but for the most part, I actually just tend to avoid medication now. So if I have like any situations, I tend to just keep it a hundred percent holistic and, and natural where, where possible. Right. So you mentioned that you were on a, your own kind of wellness journey. Can you talk about what triggered that? Mm, yeah. So I moved to London as a teenager when I was 18. Um, and I can't say I was so body conscious to the point that I was like, right, I need to be healthy, but it felt like gym culture was the thing to do. And so I remember, especially when you're a student, there's always like offers and it's like, go to fitness first for like (laughs) 10 quid or something. And I remember just going to fitness first, absolutely just loving it, loving spin, loving step class. Those are the things that were big at the time, sort of late nineties. Um, But once I got into running and I got into it in two ways, firstly, I had some friends who were really into running and we signed up to do one of the Nike races. Nike used to do a lot of races in sort of like the early noughties, mid noughties. Um, But then I discovered Rundum Crew in 2011 and just getting into this habit of long distance running, suddenly getting stronger, getting fit you want to do all the things. So you you don't just get fit, start wearing great clothes and then trash the diet. It's like, actually, what would happen if I started drinking smoothies and (laughs) (laughs) living this whole lifestyle? So I think that's kind of where the wellness journey began that suddenly I noticed, okay, physically I'm changing. I'm feeling good through running. Um, I started writing in my work. I was working at Time Out at the time. I started writing a lot about fitness. And so it just became like, every part of my life, just thinking about how to be well, how to eat well, drink well. Um, The Hemsleys, their cookbook, when that dropped kind of again, I think 2010-ish, mid-2010s, that book was like, oh my gosh, okay, I I like this approach to eating. It's like so wholesome and nourishing and holistic. Um, So I got completely addicted to that book. And then, yeah, it kind of just took off from there. Wow. So very much started by a shift to towards exercise. Mm-hmm. I um I had a fitness first membership when I moved to London and I think it's like a right. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to the one I lived in North London at the time and I lived um just I lived on um just off Holloway Road and went to the one on it was on Seven Sisters Road. Went in, remember signing up, getting the backpack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the whole induction. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that yeah, that's a real rite of passage. So running and getting into exercise really triggered a, a change in many aspects of your lifestyle. Can you talk a little bit more about the running? Because it seems to getting into getting one with Rundem Crew. Firstly, can you talk about what that is? Yes, yes, yes. So Rundem Crew is a community started by a DJ poet named Charlie Dark, 
who used to work in the music industry. And I actually used to be a music journalist. So that's kind of how I knew about Charlie. And what was so appealing about Rundum for me was that this was one of those running groups that was a typical, like it was very much catered to people in the creative industries, people who did it typically look like a runner. And I mean, at the time, you know, the only reason I liked running is because Nike kind of made it look cool. And then when I came across Rundum, I was like, okay, you make it even look cooler. <laughs> How do I get in on this? So I guess as far as my running journey, it really started with community. I think I would, you know, occasionally go out on my own, do a run, maybe stick with it for a week or so, and then sort of just run back to the gym because that's all I knew. But with Rundum Crew and just being in a community, Every single week, every Tuesday without fail, we were doing a 10K. And so just having that accountability and that consistency meant that I suddenly became a lot more comfortable with running because my first run was horrific. It was like, what do you mean we're running six miles today? What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Doing a mile and coming back. And it's like, well, no, we're running a whole 10K. And I'm just like, what? Um, Because I was naturally a short distance runner. So at school, Absolutely loved running, loved 100 meters, loved track, loved sports day. But then when we got into the world of long distance running, it was a bit like, oh, okay. And, you know, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more that naturally your body just kind of, you know, adapts. And so, you know, this has been pretty much a decade now of kind of just committing to it. And don't get me wrong, this morning, I wanted to go out and run and then I just thought, actually, no, I don't. So I decided to go to the gym. (laughs) You know, some days it gets like that. Um, But it's definitely been like my foundation for my my wellness journey. So talk a little bit about that kind of mindset of getting into long distance running, because I think what I've realized as I've gotten older is that it's really, there's been a mindset shift that's happened where I can do the mental work that propels me further. Whereas when I was younger, I used to run a lot when I was younger. I was a real treadmill queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was always be these mental hurdles where I would just kind of start to get in my own way. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe for someone listening who's thinking, okay, yeah, it's, you know, it's spring. What a great time to get into running. Um, But I'm a bit nervous, especially the idea of running, you know, longer distances. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but it literally is just taking one step at a time. I think what's been quite encouraging for me is over the years, I've realized it's actually not about how long you run. It's just about moving. I mean, during the pandemic, Um, I started a challenge with my community Flygo Collective where it was called Jam Just a Mile. And so it would literally be about going out for just a mile. And, you know, depending on your pace, you can finish your mile in like 15 minutes. Done. Go home. Enjoy. Have a smoothie. You know, (laughs) I think it's about just kind of taking it easy and taking it one step at a time. And if you discover that you like it, then it's like, okay, let's try to make that distance a little bit longer. The other thing I say to people is do not worry about pace. People automatically associate running with speed. And actually that's where it can be quite stressful um, and actually quite unenjoyable. But if you're kind of just going out for a leisurely run with some music, banging joints, or even just going to like a brand new neighborhood and you're just going on a bit of an exploration, 
then actually running can be quite enjoyable. Like people laugh when I say that I actually go on like, I think the term is runcation, run holidays. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an amazing way of kind of sightseeing and experiencing a brand new city. Like I went to Tokyo to do the uh, Tokyo Marathon in 2015 and it just gave me a whole completely perspective of Tokyo that I wouldn't have had if I just went for a normal holiday. So I think it's about people separating running from the fitness element, but also recognizing that it offers adventure, it offers exploration, and it's so great for your mental health. Like mm. I've never done a run and not felt better for it. I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to do a run tomorrow, but um, <laughs> you know, I always feel better after doing a run. So that's my encouragement, just people to try it and to not put pressure on themselves. Right. Okay. So just take the first step. Don't worry what you look like. Don't worry about your pace. You could just, you could literally run in like a pair of ratty sneakers and some jogging bottoms and like. Exactly that. I mean, one thing I would recommend is once people want to take running a bit more seriously, it's always worth getting what's called a gait analysis where um, a professional can actually assess how you run and get the right trainers for you. So it just means that you have a much more comfortable experience. Um, And then for us girlies, a good sports bra, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just having something that can just hold you in, support you, that bounce. Nobody wants it, especially when you're going for a run. And, you know, I know women who, you know, are bigger sizes who, because of the right sports bra, they absolutely love running. Yeah, that can be that can be a real barrier. I remember mm-hmm. when after I gave birth and I was breastfeeding, I thought, okay, let me try to get back into running. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to, you know, breastfeeding, you know, made made the girls bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to wear two sports bras oh. to feel comfortable. Um, yeah. Well, what I find really interesting about your journey is that you, you, you started, you found this community, you started running, you found this community. And then I read online that you said that you run one marathon a year because you find it character building. So that's a kind of a real, a relief. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by character building? My gosh. (laughs) so funny. I'm actually not running any marathons this year, but I am running one next year. Um, It is incredibly character building because there's absolutely nothing like it in the sense that you know, you start running for a while, there's actually some runs that you can blag. Like you can, you know, you can run a 5k and if you've had the minimal training, you'll finish that 5k, you'll be absolutely fine. You can run a 10k, same story. You can run a half. I would suggest you train for it, but you can get away with it. You have to train for a marathon. And the process of training for a marathon says and tells you so much about yourself because it is challenging. It's hard. There are going to be tough moments, but those tough moments help to build resilience and character. And it makes you recognize that even when the going gets tough in life, that you can still push through. And so it's character building in the sense that, you know, as we've experienced, you never know what's around the corner, you know, a pandemic, uh, you know, bad news, work situation. But if you can still kind of maintain a real strong sense of character and resilience, you can definitely push through. So I think, you know, I like to do those marathons just to remind myself that, okay, Matilda, 
you're a lot stronger than you think. Um, it's going to be tough, but you're also tougher. And it becomes a bit of a touch point. So when things, whether it's, you know, in life and work, things are really hard. It's like Matilda, but you've run 26.2 miles. If you can run 26.2 miles, you can certainly get through this. So, you know, it becomes just a bit of a bit of encouragement for me. That's so interesting because I I I I've done a half marathon. I've never done a, <laughs> a full marathon. But sometimes I do, that's one of the things that I come back to in my mind. There are lots of, there are, I have about five touch points that, you know, when things get tough, I think, okay, but you got through that yes. and you, and that, the, the half marathon yeah, is one of them. It's because it, I train, but I don't think I train properly okay. and I, like I what was running regularly. As in, are you following the training plan? I, I kind of made up my own training plan. <laughs> I was running regularly and like I was doing long distances, but it was just, it was hillier than I she thought it was going to be. And oh, I just yeah. got like the last kilometer. I was crying <laughs> while I was running because of, <laughs> because of the emotional side of it. I was just so tired and just running, crying. And it's just a mess. Um, but I, that's one of my kind of resilience touch points is, yeah. you know, you, you that you can, you can definitely get through, through this. Exactly. And also the thing about marathon training that I appreciate is if you train for it, you know, regardless of what time you get, you train for it, you will get through it. If you don't train for it. And that is, some a bit of a metaphor for life that if you don't prepare, if you don't do all the right things, if you don't look after yourself, it's going to be hard. You know, like last year, me and another member from Fly Girl, we got a very last minute place for London Marathon. And because we'd done a marathon early in the year, we did Paris, which we did train for. We were like, oh, London, sure, we can train in seven weeks. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> that day came and by the time we got to the half marathon mark, we were like girl okay <laughs> this is why you train 16 to 12 to 16 weeks or marathon because you just can't blag it it will tell you about yourself but like mm-hmm. how much water did you drink were you prepared for this did you miss any long runs so it's just a nice way of kind of keeping you in check but you know I've got a lovely team of women who are doing the marathon in 2022 and you know they've put the work in and so you know they're going to reap the benefits of that and I think there's something about you really get to reap what you sow yeah yeah or so yeah reap what you sow yeah (laughs) yeah yeah reap what you reap what you sow definitely physically and mentally yes so you mentioned the collective that you founded fly girl collective so firstly I have to ask about the name because when I think fly girl, I think in living color. That's I right. Rosie Perez. 100%. I think Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. So is that where it came from? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I born and raised in the US. And the thing about fly girl, even though running has been our main activity, I wanted fly girl to just be a representation of black women and women of color being awesome through movement. And so when I think back to those days, I mean, we're talking like 90s, maybe even late 80s, and you saw the fly girls looking fly. So they had the gear, they were moving, they were dancing, they were athletic, and they just looked dope. I always, that was always a very powerful image for me, because when you look at the broader fitness space, there are definitely 
pockets of stereotypes of women. So you'll get sort of the yoga girl, usually not black, <laughs> you know, very slim. Um, and then when it comes to women, sometimes you don't even get women put in a very feminine box. Sometimes they're almost lumped in with the fellas. And actually a lot of sports brands, they very much don't, they're very patriarchal. <laughs> so it's almost like women have to fit into this patriarchal box as we do in society. And there aren't very many images of women looking just incredible and amazing through movement. And they don't necessarily have to be athletes. So it's almost like I wanted to create something that really encompassed the amazing beauty, feminine energy that women can emanate by just being devoted to movement, whatever kind of movement that is. We just so happen to use running because running is very accessible, but whether we're on a spin bike or we're stretching, doing yoga Pilates, we show up and show out. And then on top of that, because there is a bit of a diversity and representation problem in wellness and fitness, I wanted to make it crystal clear that when Fly Girl Collective in the room, we're here <laughs> and we're here to stay and to inspire other women who may not be accustomed to spaces where Black women and women of color occupy. So yeah. Very much inspired by JLo and them, but then every single dope active woman that I've encountered over the years, be it a, a Janet Jackson, a, you know, Sierra, Destiny's Child, all of those women wrapped up into one. That was very much the essence of it. To talk a little bit about diversity in in the wellness space. So, you know, I'm a yoga teacher in London and I definitely see this, you know, I see this in it's particularly the the students that come to my class um i mean i teach in i teach in west london but i mm -hmm. teach in hammersmith which is a very diverse area and you know my classes actually i think have become more diverse because i think i teach sure. the classes yeah um but when i first started teaching there i was kind of like okay um but talk a little bit about your experience, particularly in London, which, you know, is a, an ex extremely diverse city, but diversity in wellness in New York, in London, and your experience of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because Black women work out, right? Like, there's no doubt about it. I think there's a bit of segregation as far as, you know, if you're saying a black neighborhood, there's a black gym, there's going to be black people there. Fantastic. But what if let's say you're in central London or you're in a neighborhood that used to be black and is now gentrified. What I was discovering is that I would go into gym spaces, beautiful studios and be the only black woman there. And it was like, okay, why is it? And, you know, there's talk of, oh, maybe the cost. I'm like, is it a cost thing though? <laughs> because, you know, we will pay whatnot for our hair. We will pay whatnot for, you know, so I don't necessarily know it's that. I think a lot of it is to do with representation. I think, you know, it's the saying is true that sometimes you can't be what you can't see. Whereas if you then see it, that's the inspiration that you need to pursue it. So marketing is really important as far as attracting diversity. Um, the way studios are staffed, you know, black teachers, people from people of color, if that is a norm in those spaces, then hopefully the membership should reflect that. But I know 
to this day, I'm still the minority in gym classes, you know, and I live in a very, well, pretty gentrified neighborhood, but, (laughs) you know, it's still a neighborhood where Black people live. So it's like, why aren't they coming to the gyms? And, you know, I think also maybe we're the generation that's going to normalize it for our kids (laughs) so that they realize actually part of your lifestyle isn't just, you know, hanging out with your friends and doing X and Z. It's like, it's also exercising. And Mm. it's starting like I literally, I don't know where I was. I think I was like on a bus and I heard these like two young girls talking about fitness. They must've been like 14. It's like, yo, you need to go to the gym. Like we need to get some exercise. And we, and I was just like, oh, wow. That was just like a normal part of her dialogue. So, you know, I guess my hope is there will be something of a generational shift. I mean, shame it has to be a whole generation, but <laughs> I think that's kind of where we are. That's really interesting because if we then bring in the everything that happened in 2020, you mm. know, that like Black Square Monday or whatever it was or Friday mm-hmm. and all the commitments to diversity and all the committees that um, were started, you know, from your perspective, how do things look three years on in the wellness space? Um, you know, I think there are some brands and studios and organizations that have endeavored to change. So, you know, I'll call out, say, the London Marathon. There was a world where London Marathon was not a diverse space. The other races that London Marathon would organize were like, oh, great. Yeah, diversity is here, but how come it's not over there in like one of the world's biggest races? Um, And I think they've really made strides to engage with community groups, especially the ones where, you know, the focus and priority is about diversity in wellness and fitness. Um, You know, another brand I'll call out is Lululemon. You know, they're a brand partner for for Fly Girl and they've really listened and they've made the effort to kind of bring diversity into their marketing. And so, you know, you look at their gram, you look at even in store there's so much more diversity than maybe when I first moved to London 20 odd years ago. Um, And equally, there's some organizations that have just kind of reverted and they're like, well, we're not really accountable to anybody. So we'll just keep it business as usual. But it's a shame because people don't realize that diversity is actually really good business. (laughs) You know, it's not about kind of keeping things to who you know, but actually broadening that perspective and allowing other people to kind of enhance what you do. Thinking about running specifically, um, they, I read an article where you talked about how running remains a largely white and middle class activity. And you just used the example of London Marathon diversifying. diversifying. It surprises me that running would be such a white and middle class activity when all you need is a pair of trainers um, and you know something comfortable, but tell me a bit. Tell talk a little bit more about that and why that is, and what you what what you see changing in the running space. Yeah, um, I know. I, I I find it quite bemusing as well. But I think the reality is is that when you think about the origin of run culture, it actually starts in the U.S. Um, with brands like Nike, there was actually a book as well that came out. uh, I think one of the first books around how to jog. And it was very much written from a white perspective for a white 
community. So the actual origin of running as an activity, a hobby is rooted in whiteness. So I think even though a brand like Nike, for instance, they've obviously been at the forefront of showing a lot more diversity at the root of it, it's still from a white lens and a a white perspective. So I think, unfortunately, the roots and the origin is still played out today. You know, Mm. again, I don't know numbers, don't know data, don't know stats, but I'd be curious to know specifically with running, if they were to look at the demographic of buyers globally, and we're not talking about lifestyle when when I talk about Nike, it's, it's like, who's actually purchasing the running shoes I'd be interested to see if it's as diverse as we think running actually is. So I think it becomes a thing where if something feels very exclusive, which running did for a very long time um, and people don't know about it, then that's where you get into a diversity problem. But then that's where communities like Rundem Crew kind of just shattered that completely because it was like, okay, I know this is what people assume running is and I know it is something of an exclusive boys club, but actually I'm now going to make it a thing where it's absolutely for everyone and it's a lot more democratic. And I think for me, I wanted to take things further with Fly Girl by showing that, look, running can also be for fly, dope, aspirational, ambitious women too. Um, And it doesn't have to be in this box of athleticism. It can just be very much aligned to, to lifestyle. So I think... From what I've seen in London, there's a lot of exciting things happening. There's so many more communities that exist. I mean, 10 years ago, there was just Run Them. You know, now you have Black Girls Do Run UK, Emancipated Run Crew, London Select, um, of course, Fly Girl Collective. So there's so many more communities now that are really putting diversity and representation at the forefront of what they do. And so I think naturally, we're just going to see how that evolves yeah very exciting Hmm. so someone listening and they're thinking okay fly girl collective that sounds really cool i live in london i'm a woman of color or black woman i want to get involved how how do they get involved they just need to sign up to the mailing list so we have a mailing list which very much is like the community hub And it's where I kind of share the events and activities that we're doing. So once they're on the mailing list, they'll kind of find out when we organize runs and events. You know, we do brunches, we do all sorts. And so that's probably the easiest way to plug in. There's also our Instagram, another great way to plug in. And one of the things we've been doing since the beginning of Fly Girl is sort of regular challenges. So at the moment, we're doing like a Fly Girl 30-day challenge, which I think over 60 women have signed up for, which is amazing. Um, And that's just the easiest thing. Like, I think what I'm trying to prove is that access to fitness, wellness, and inspiration should be quite easy. And once you kind of are involved, then where that takes you is completely down to you. Um, Normally, once a year, I organize a training season. So I'll get like a group of women, say eight to 10 women, and we'll all together train for an event. So for we've had about seven seasons where We've trained for half marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks. Next season's going to be a bit of a surprise. I'm going to switch things up a little bit. Um, but yeah, sign up to the mailing list, follow on the gram and kind of, yeah, just see where it takes you. Okay, cool. What if, what would you say to someone who's listening who wants to join Fly Girl or wants to join some 
other running collective that's close to where they live, but they're a bit nervous. Like they don't know anyone. They're scared to go on their on their own. They like the idea of community, but they're nervous. What would you say to them? Mm, I get it. Um, it's tricky, right? Because people have said, bring Fly Girl to Birmingham or Liverpool. And I'm like, I'm, I'm one woman. <laughs> I wish I I wish I could, but couple of things. I think try and just try. I mean, I've rocked up to all types of communities before I even found Rundum Crew and and just test it out as you would with anything else. It's kind of like dating, right? You got to be in it to win it. So you kind of <laughs> try it out, see how it goes, test the chemistry. And if it's not your thing, keep it moving. You know, and the other thing is sometimes you know, you have to build a table that you want to occupy. And even if that's just getting a couple of friends or one friend and say, hey girl, let's start this thing. Because as we've talked about, running is that accessible. All you need is like the trainers. You can find training plans. Park Run is, you know, there every Saturday, helping people learn how to run 5Ks. So I think being proactive is key, but also just recognizing that, you know, it is very much a journey and and see how you get on. But it's always nervous kind of stepping into a new space. I mean, I remember the first I stepped to random crew and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Um, But I also say if people, you know, when they come to Fly Girl events, we are a very warm, welcoming, lovely bunch. It is very much the remit of being a part of the collective that we're all encompassing and inclusive in that way. So yeah, definitely just, yeah, take a step. Amazing. So you've shared a lot. You've talked. We've talked about diversity. We've talked about Fly Girl Collective. Of course, we talked about the story of your very first period. What's something that you would like to leave listeners with? If you could leave them with one thought, mm, I would say that it's so important for us to be courageous, because like a period, <laughs> you know, that can be such. Um, quite a, I don't want to use the word agonizing, but an unpredictable time in our lives, even monthly, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. (laughs) And so, you know, I think there's just something about approaching life with a degree of courage and willingness to tackle whatever life may bring. Um, And that's very much what running has taught me that actually stepping out, trying new things before you know it, you end up being so much further along in life than you thought you could ever be. Like when I did my very first run 10 years ago, you couldn't have paid me to run a marathon. I was adamant I would never do it, you know, and now I've run five and now I'm going to run more, (laughs) you know, in total, I've run like over 40 races and that's not something I planned. Nobody could have told me, oh, Matilda, you're just going to be this serial runner. And so I think there's just something in testing yourself, seeing what you're capable of and actually just allowing that door to kind of take you up to new heights. You know, you just never know what may, may happen. Amazing. I mean, you, we didn't even talk about the fact that you've run u- ultra marathons. Oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did that with my friend Angie. I was like, cool, one and done. Let me just stick to distances I like. <laughs> was that, is that 100 kilometers? We did 50K. So 50, okay. Yeah, I was like, there's no way I could do the 100. And it was a great day. It rained. We ate a lot of cake. We walked, we talked, we jammed. Um, it was such a great sisterhood moment. Um, and that said, I think 
something about running and community, the two things actually work together for an activity that's so kind of solitary. Like you, if you connect with people in running, it can be such a brilliant experience. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find Fly Girl Collective? Yeah. So the website is flygirlcollective.co. Um, but we're also on Instagram at Fly Girl Collective. You can find us at Facebook on Fly Girl Collective and then on Twitter at Fly Girl Co. But if you Google Fly Girl Collective, you'll find us. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.